When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Left foot cross comes in and Nesri rises and it's in there! Youssef Nesri has found the opener for Morocco! The last team standing from Africa and they've taken a lead before half-time. Backwards to Chuameni who wants to unleash! Oh, Oh, Chuameni! He has unleashed! Unleashed blue fury on England! Kane steps up and blasts it. <laughs> never missing, never in doubt. It had to be Harry. Secondary cross creeper comes in. That time it's a goal. That time it's a goal. Olivier Giroud makes no mistake. They didn't learn. The world waits. Kane's oh missed it. He's missed it. Oh my God. He's blasted it over the crossbar. Hello and welcome to the World Cup edition out of this morning's quarterfinals of the Global Game. I'm Adam Peacock with Scott McDonald. Great to have your company wherever you're listening on the podcast or around the SEN network. What are two games we've had? What two results we've had? And it was always going to be tight between England and France and it just fell the way of France. We'll break it down in a moment. But the story... The romantic story, if you want to call it that, out of the World Cup. Well, not very romantic if you're a Portuguese fan, a Cristiano Ronaldo disciple. But Morocco, Morocco, the North Africans are through to the last four of the World Cup. First team from the African continent through to the last four of a World Cup. And, yeah, they're an Arab nation as well. They've got ties to the Middle East in terms of a lot of expats living, especially in Qatar. Moroccan expats and Scott McDonald. There's one security guard, actually, a little story for you to kick things off, who works at the Socceroos training ground, who was working at the Socceroos training ground. He was besotted by the fact that Morocco were at the World Cup. Now, I'm back home now. I can't imagine the state that that guy is in right now. What a result. Uh, unbelievable for, for a whole nation uh, just living the dream, uh, being in fantasy land right now. You know, first African team to get to the semifinals of a World Cup, like you said, Adam, and, you know, you just, w- you just wouldn't bet against them now. You, you can't. I mean, they've only conceded one goal in the whole of the, the World Cup so far. They're, they've just been magnificent. And it's not been pretty at times. Um, but, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as we're seeing at this World Cup. It's not just all about having the ball. It's what you do with it when you get it, um, just like you spoke about off air. Um, and mm. that's completely Morocco at this point in time. Yeah, uh, th- that was the point I was going to make in terms of before we get to the storylines and especially about Ronaldo, about Morocco and how they've done it. Yeah, they defend in a deep block. They're very hard to break down. There's about three centimetres in between each defensive line that they've got. So it's impossible to play through. You've got to play over or around and and then still hope because their their central defenders defend like their lives are on the line, but um, 27% of possession against Portugal, 23 against Spain. They're out-possessed in every single group game, but they outshot every team in the group game. And this morning, it was 11 shots off 73% of possession for Portugal and nine shots for Morocco off 27%. They are really, really effective, extremely effective. And what would you rather be, Scott? Effective or dominant? Well, within tournament play, certainly effective. 
You know, these are the the tournaments where, by hook or by crook, you've got to get the the result. It's not about always the performance um, and trying to break teams down. I mean, like another like, I'm not big on stats, but 35 clearances from Morocco in this game. It tells you everything about the die for the cause. You know, mm. if you were to go throughout um, the whole the whole of this World Cup campaign, how they defend as a unit, um, and then try and spring on the attack. And you you have to say that the the goal as well from Nesri, it's a wonderful leap, isn't it? Oh. You know, nice little lofted ball in there. Keepers in, keepers in no man's land, and and it's a wonderful header. It's, it's Ronaldo esque. You would have to say. And and, uh, and at one point when they're wearing the red and the green, you're sort of half thinking. For at one point, is that actually <laughs> Portugal that scored that goal? But it's not. Yeah. It's Morocco, exactly. And um, you know, it, it's you know they play France now, and it's it's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere. We know the history of these two nations, and and how so many Moroccans live in France too. So it's it's going to be an interesting tie. This one. Oh yeah, it's a bit of a derby actually. Um, and we'll get to France in a moment. But you're right. It, it looked like. Um uh, the, the goal scorer there, Ed Nesri from, from from Sevilla, he looked like he jumped off a stepladder. It was an incredible leap to, to get the goal. And then after that, it was like, okay, over to Portugal. So Portugal introduced Ronaldo in the 53rd minute. I'm not sure if that was in the plan. And they can't find a way through. Bruno Fernandes had a couple of good chances. Uh, Pepe, um, who bagged the ref after it, missed a golden chance yeah. in the last few seconds. But overall, Scott, how would you sum up Cristiano Ronaldo's World Cup and has it done anything to rattle his legacy the wrong way? Absolutely, it has. It's a it's a failure all round. Uh, and in, in terms of who's to blame for that, there's only one man to, to take that responsibility and it has to be himself. You know, coming out with this Piers Morgan interview in the build-up to this World Cup was an absolute disaster. It was a train crash. As much as you want to get out of Manchester United, I just felt that he needed to let his football do the talking. You know, do it gracefully. Probably your last World Cup, and I'm and I'm actually disappointed and I'm saddened that his legacy is getting tarnished now. Because for me, for a long period of time, I was one of the arguers that said he was the best player in the world. You know, he was better than Lionel Messi, um, and just on pure fact, because he he was more human than Lionel Messi was mm. in the sense of, you know, Messi's got this God's gift. Ronaldo's had to be the one that's worked hard and tirelessly and improved and adapted throughout his career. Wherever he's gone, he's done that. He's gone to different uh, countries. He's done it on the world stage. But now it's it's easy to forget all that um, just in this short space of time, the last six to 12 months and, and what's gone on in his career. And everything's slipping away. And I think he can feel it slipping away as well now. And, that's, and he doesn't know how to get it back. And his advisors, certainly if they are advising him, they're not helping him or he just doesn't want to listen. Um, and it's a real shame. Quick one to round out this um, review of this particular game. Pepe, Bruno Fernandes, there was a few words after it saying, oh, Argentinian ref, everyone just wants Messi to play, to win the World Cup. You having it or not? Um, I don't even know why he's mentioned Argentina or Messi in, in the same discussion as the, the result itself. It's a bit odd and strange. Um, do I fear for that a little bit? Yes, I do. I think there is, like, the example of Lionel Messi not getting booked the other night against the Dutch for mm. handball when he's given two yellow cards for exactly the same thing in that game. I, I, I just don't like it. There, there is a bit of that. He's got a halo around him and overprotected at times. And, and that's always, as a player, if you're playing up against that or up against him, you that nags you. You, you already think you're going into that and he's going to get a bit of special treatment. And obviously everyone 
you know, from a marketing perspective, um, it, the, every every fan wants him to win this World Cup. They're urging it. So human nature sort of tells you or says to you that there might be a little bit of leniency towards him into Argentina. Now, I don't want to put the referees in into disrepute, but everyone else seems to be doing it right now. The Dutch have had a crack. The Argentines have had a crack. Even England this morning, English yeah. punditry and everything's having a crack, even though they've got two penalties. It's incredible. Yeah, let's get on to England-France right now. It's a tight game. In prospect, it was really hard to, to, to definitively call which way it was going to uh, land. Scott, out of the result, both from a winning French perspective and a losing English perspective, is there something greater at play which caused the result or was it simply a 50-50 game that fell down to the finest of fine margins and France edged it? Yeah, spot on, fine margins, you know, game of chances, isn't it? You know, who took theirs to who didn't and, you know, Harry Kane will be remembered for this World Cup now for that that second penalty miss that he skies over the bar. I really enjoyed this game mm. in terms, particularly second half where it livened up a little bit. I thought England never really come out the blocks. There was a little bit of fear there. Gave the ball away in a couple of dangerous areas and all, all of a sudden the pounce of, you know, France on the, on the counter-attack with their speed was a threat to them and worried them. Luke Shaw didn't have the best of games at all um, throughout the whole period of the game. Defensively, they struggled a little bit. That was always going to be the question for England that they looked good going forward in this tournament, uh, but how are they going to be defensively when they come up against a decent unit? And you've got to say Schwemi's goal, though, to Wemmy. We talked about the... I talked about the the French youth coming through, Yeah. Uh, him and Camavinga, and I said there's going to be more to come. This is frightening to think. They win the double World Cup... And when you see what's coming from behind, you know, for the next World Cup, it's it's a crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And look, the French, for me, you know, they nicked it. Giroud again, getting another goal as well. Wonderful ball in Griezmann, the architect. You know, it just seems to be happening for France. On the other hand, I thought Saka was very impressive second half. Um, and look, England had enough chances to win this. There's always been questions about Lloris. Is he one of the best goalkeepers in the world? Well, he certainly played like one um, yeah. overnight. You know, that's for sure. Some of his saves were, were fantastic. The one he comes out at Harry Kane's feet, the one he tips over the bar. And and look, there's a psychological thing as well when you're playing against your teammate at penalty kicks as well. It can't be easy. Interesting about France, I watched them live three times and I came away with a certain impression. Then I watched them again this morning again against a high-quality opponent. And I think from about minute 55 to 75 England were running downhill quick and France were were, were absorbing and, and containing but yeah you, you'd wonder if it was eventually going to crack but France are this team Scott I don't know if you agree with me here that they they are just a a solid team sprinkled with three or four moments in a game which make them look like absolute world beaters but the rest of the time they're I, I don't really know how to describe them, if you know what I mean. It's a, it's a weird feeling coming away and, and describing these players in this because they're top, top quality players, but it's not like they play teams off the park. They just wait for little moments. And the Giroud goal is a perfect example where Giroud, I don't reckon he touched the ball with his feet all game, <laughs> pretty much. And if he did, I, ca I can't remember it, but he just pops up, moment, bang, and then they hold on. It's it, They're a weird team for the amount of quality that they've got. Yeah, and I think that boils down. If you look at, okay, Didier Deschamps been the head coach now for over eight years, right? But if you looked at his teams in at club level and what he did previous to that at Monaco, um, and the success he had, it wasn't pure flair and 
uh, excitement a lot of the time. It's it was built on a basis of structure. Yeah. Um, and I think you've got to give him a lot of credit for the success that he's had at national team and how he, you know, all the, the you know over the years the French have had their issues. You know, if you look at the the World Cup before he came in and they all wanted to go on strike and 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 just the egos that are within those squads. And he seems to contain that and get the very, very best out of this French team and, and become a unit and, and as one nation with all the multicultural that they have within mm. their their outfit itself, he seems to get it together for them. Um, and he's only lost now, look, before that Tunisia game, he'd only lost one game at a World Cup, mm. Didier Deschamps. You know, and that was in uh, 2014, I, I think it was to... The quarterfinal Germany. Uh, yeah. Who was it? I think it might have been Germany. Yeah, the, Germany. So, you know, he's, he's like... Success rate is unreal. He got to a final Euros, lost in the in the final against Portugal, mm. won the Euros. You know, th- th- he's a serial winner, and, and he was as a player, and he and he's bringing that to his team. What about England? So you look at the Southgate era, uh, twenty eighteen World Cup semi final, uh, twenty twenty or twenty one, whatever it was, Euros final, and then here yeah. quarter final exit. Good profile of squad in terms of you know. Jude Bellingham, for instance, can't even buy a beer in America yet, legally. He'd probably get away with a fake ID. He looks he looks older. But the point is that they've got a, a still a, a, a great young crop of players coming through, and that's only going to continue with the way that England's set up their development system. Has the Southgate era, if it ends right now, been a success or a failure? I think it's been a huge success. I think from where they come from before his era started, um, had Sam Allardyce at the reign for about, you know, two weeks pretty much. <laughs> um, he took over, and then uh, yeah, and then uh, in between he's dancing in Dubai. Um, <laughs> but like <laughs> Gareth Southgate, like has come through that system, and like we talk about managers, like who's going to be the next one, and he was unfancied. You know, even with the the, the British media, the English media, they, d- they didn't pretty much want him. But then the Gareth Southgate era started 2018 with a waistcoat. Everyone was on the arm. On the bandwidth with him, and and it's he, I think he's done a fantastic job bringing that youth through now. Um, but it's a case of can you overstay your welcome? And then with the English media and how they are, we 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 know what they can be like. Uh, and in modern society, we want change. And I think that's probably going to be the case now with the English public and the English media. They're going to want someone different. And the biggest question is who is that person? Though it's it's, it's no easy feat to become England manager and who wants that job? Mm. Could it be a Mourinho or the likes? Do they go foreign or do they or do they stay with the you know the British coach and and who is that? Who's the up and coming Eddie Howe? Would he want to take it right now? Quiet. Like the, there's all those questions and it shush. Will <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, sorry, I, I forgot for a second. You're a, you're a Maggie, but um, I think uh, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna you know, it's going to bubble about for a while yeah. now in terms of, you know, if he's going to stay or go and then who's going to replace him. That's for sure. But I think it's been a long story short there. Um, it's been a successful era for England. So that was the review of this morning's quarterfinals. Morocco and France making it through, as mentioned before, a bit of a derby there in more ways than one if you know your, uh, if you know your recent history in the last century or so. Anyway, we might touch on that in the days to come. But you're with The Global Game. Don't forget, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Global Game SEN. We're off to a quick break. And as we go to the break, a reminder, you're listening to The Global Game. Thanks to Kraken. Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. Hot topic on the way. 
Great to have your company on the global game with uh, me, Adam Peacock, and Scott McDonald running through all the uh, the talking points out of the World Cup at the moment. We will later in the show have a bit of a discussion about the A League men's return, uh, but. Before that, the hot topic, thanks to Guzman E. Gomez. Uh, it's fast food that athletes say yes to. Okay, Scott, uh, hypothet- I love hypotheticals, and here's one for you. So I want you to put your historian's hat on, even though the period of time that we're talking about hasn't yet finished. So you've got to just jump into a bit of a time machine here. And what you reckon might be the story of this World Cup in a few years' time when we look back on it? Is, is it Messi finally winning his first World Cup, France going back-to-back, or the focus on the World Cup as a whole and all the off-field issues? What do you reckon? Oh, look, I think it will be on-field uh, stuff that we look back on. And if Messi was to win this World Cup, it will go down as probably the most historic World Cup there ever has been. Mm. Um, just because the argument is that it's the best player to have ever played the game. And he finally won that World Cup. And we see those icon- iconic pictures of Diego Maradona lifting the World Cup when he won it in 86. Um, I think it will be very, very similar in terms of that will be the the one picture that we'll always see and remember of, of this World Cup if he was to win it. Mm. Um, or we see a double a double winner, double champion winner in, in Kylian Mbappe. Um, and if it's not one of them two, then the other stories are just as great, aren't they? If it's Croatia or Morocco, yeah, it will be remembered for the most upsetting World Cup there's ever has been uh, from nowhere and a new World Cup winner. Yeah. So th- there's a lot to to come yet from this World Cup and, and it will be memorable f- whatever way it turns. Um, it will have its moment. Yeah, I, I do get the impression sometimes that the people who cover the game lose sight on occasion of what actually, like the actual what happens on the pitch. Like the, the issues around the game become more not more talked about but have more more of a place in the discussion about what is going on rather than the actual game and i'm talking about people like me journalists for instance we we pay a lot of attention to everything on the periphery as opposed to what's the average fan what's the ex-player like scott actually think of a world cup and it's the on-field stuff and that's not to put aside to, to to one side about all the controversy that's going on it's the football's a priority, and that's how you feel, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. It always is with the, with the World Cup. Why do we watch it? To, to, to watch the beautiful game we love. It's The other stuff, it, it comes now with the whole social media aspect of, of the world and how accessible news is all over. I mean, there would have been issues at uh, USA 94. It was too hot, this, that, next. Uh, or, you know, Italian 90 or... Mexico, it doesn't matter which World Cup it's been, but it's just that news is more accessible now mm. and we get to see it and, and get to... And it's good in a sense, but not good as well. You know, the, the, there is the, the the up and the down with it. Um, but at the end of the day, when you watch a World Cup, you, you watch it for the football, right? And that's not to take anything away from all the other things that have been going on or putting my head in the sand, because um, certainly not, but... That's the reason why we, we want to see it and, and watch it. And regardless of where it is, whether it was in Russia or in Qatar, um, we all still get up at the early hours of the morning or wherever we are in the world to watch this beautiful game. There was some horrible news in the last 24 hours and uh, we recorded yesterday's show and then not long after we, we had the news through from Qatar that um, one of the leading journalists, especially in the Western world when it comes to football, and he's been a trailblazer in America for a very long time. It, it, and you, 
as an Australian, you can kind of relate that this um, this person, Grant Wall, has has done all he can to heighten the interest of football in a non-football dominated market. And he certainly did that for a very long time, writing for Sports Illustrated. He was the guy with his byline on all the big stories when it came to American football. And he had a very heavy focus on European football as well. He was um, admired throughout the journalistic world. A lot of people in the main media center at at the World Cup will be despondent and um, really, really sad about this news. And they gave him a uh, a nice little touch on the big screen before one of the quarterfinals this morning and where he was due to sit for England, France. That was um, reserved for the morning that in his seat in the media tribune. But um, yeah, it was, it was horrible news. And, and now you look back on, on something like this, which Alex has pulled out of, uh, of Grant talking earlier this week about not feeling a hundred percent while at the world cup covering it. And I took some time off myself. We had two days here without games after 17 straight days of games. And my body, I think told me, even after the U S went out, dude, you are not sleeping enough. <laughs> and it rebelled on me. And so I've had a case of bronchitis this week. I've been to the medical clinic at the media center twice now, including today. I'm feeling better today. I basically canceled everything on this Thursday that I had and napped. And and I'm doing slightly better that you can probably tell in my voice that I'm not at a at 100% here. Hopefully I will not cough uh, during this podcast. I'm coughing. <laughs> Yeah, so it was a respiratory problem, obviously, that he, he didn't quite get over and he collapsed at the uh, the Argentina game. He couldn't be revived after half an hour of CPR work, taken to hospital and unfortunately was pronounced dead a, a little after. And his brother released a, an Instagram video and he was very emotional. Obviously, he had feelings that there was foul play, but um, no, it, it sounds like Scott, and we hate to jump to conclusions because no doubt an autopsy hasn't been totally done, but it's just a, a tragic story. And then automatically you think, oh, has, has there been foul play? But it, it sounds like health's got him. And it's another reminder, um, look after number one if you're not feeling 100%, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, condolences to obviously his family. It's it, it's really sad. And and again, being at the World Cup, it's, it's obviously going to be heightened as well in terms of being around that. And obviously he was covering it. Um, but obviously FIFA and, and, and the Qatar authorities have to do their inquest and, and do all the right things. And... Uh, Hopefully, will out in time that will come out um, exactly. You know, his you know how his death occurred because um, I think it's only right that they, they cleared it up. But again, that's always the argument that within Qatar at the moment that it isn't as clear all the time. They they don't come out and, and clarify certain things, um, and that's where all the the news comes from. Adam, mm. I I could only say from covering the tournament as well a couple of things. There's no safer place on earth, it felt like, than being at a World Cup Like because of all the security and all the, the um, uh, things taking place in terms of organisation and, and transport and everything. And also, it's um, if you're having a respiratory problem over there, it's not a great place because it's dusty, it's humid, it's hot, and then you go inside and you're either walking into a place where everyone's smoking because everyone smokes inside or you're walking into 20-degree temperatures in air conditioning so it's it's hard to get a regulation on if things aren't quite well but again we're we're kind of you know guessing about what exactly has gone down what we do know is that um football and football writing and the coverage of football is a lesser place uh, today without great while um, walking the earth so um again commiserations 
to his family. And, um, yeah, I, I dare say he'll be sorely missed in the lead-up to 2026. And he's a big uh, big advocate for women's football as well. So 2023, he'll be sorely missed in these parts. Um, we've got uh, an A-League men's uh, review coming up on the global game. And we've uh, got a little look ahead to the semifinals as well. But um, before the break, let's get an odds update. Thanks to Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Well, the World Cup's throwing up surprise after surprise. They've only got three matches or four matches left in the tournament with a third-place playoff and obviously the final in these two semis. But Argentina are $1.85 to get through to the final. They'll take on Croatia, who are $5.70. $3.45 for the draw at the end of regular time in that match. Croatia looking to make back-to-back World Cup finals. France, they're the tournament favourites, but also the favourites against Morocco at $1.57. Morocco have had an amazing tournament. They're $8.20. And $4 for the draw in that match. They've only conceded one goal in this World Cup. France are $2.14, sorry, $2.18 favourite for this event. Argentina, $2.74, second favourite. They were favourite prior to this morning. Croatia, $9.60, first time they've been single figures all tournament. And Morocco, who opened at $430, $13.50. They just keep on coming. And can they write that fairy tale? You can find all of that action on the Betfair hub and all of the key tips and stats, thanks to Stats Insider. That update, thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly, 1-800-858-858. Back with an A-League men's review. The ball over the top here for Ryan Williams towards the byline. Cuts back in. Almost, he does. I was going to say he almost catches Jamie Young out. I'm not sure whether it was a cross or a shot. Ryan Williams won't care. Goto's ball in. Oh, and it's past everyone. Marcelo didn't get a touch. And Yeni Mbakoto on his starting debut. It may not have been intentional, but he has a goal to his name. And Lolly, oh, and uh, Glover didn't know too much about it and cannot keep out the follow-up. And wouldn't you know it, fresh off the bench, Adam LaFondra is there to pounce for his first ever goal at Allianz Stadium. Kasabian, Alex, eh? Take me back to... Premier League hosting days about 10 years ago, getting home at 2am after putting up with the two Ronnies and coming home after about three Red Bulls and trying to stay awake for the second half of the uh, the 2am kickoff. Love it. Love it. Welcome back to the global game. Uh, and it's all thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. So four games done uh, this weekend so far. Scott McDonald, before we, um, we're recording this before the Sunday afternoon game. So Brisbane, Raw and Adelaide United, 1-1. Uh, Wellington and Western Sydney Wanderers, 1-1 and nearly an all-in at full time. That was good to see. Uh, Sydney FC, <laughs> 2. Melbourne City, 1. Really enjoyed that one uh, last night on the couch. And Perth Glory win at home, their new home at Macedonia Park, which looked okay. Only 4,000 people there, but they've done a good job to to get it up to, you know, the, the aesthetics about it. Looked okay on television over Western United. But, um, Scott, just back to Friday night's one. Um, Brisbane at Redcliffe, you know, it, it just feels like it's not their home, if you know what I mean. It's It doesn't feel like it's bedded in. And I know Suncorp is this gargantuan stadium, but you'd like them to just mm-hmm. knock off the lower bowl and just get everyone in there and, and play there. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, look, absolutely. I, I love my time. At Brisbane Raw, uh, it was it was fantastic at the end of my career, and 
Um, I certainly enjoyed playing at Suncorp, you know, a proper football stadium. Um, look, when we when we were there, it was the crowds were still okay. Um, you know, getting that sort of twelve to fifteen mark still like when you go to Suncorp though, it looks like it's just so not many people there. However, obviously Redcliffe has been the place where Raw have played in in the last couple of years, and look, it's losing its. Uh, affection on the fans itself and how far out it is from actually Brisbane. You know, yeah. They're called Brisbane Raw for a reason. And, you know, you speak to the, the fans and, and what they want and how many fans that have been lost throughout the period. Um, albeit, it was good to see, you know, you talk about 4,500 there at, at the Perth game, similar, you know, crowd numbers, um, you know, for, for Brisbane Raw and Adelaide United, which um, haven't been there to be truthful, um, the crowds for, for Brisbane Raw. So, look, and, and I still speak to the players. They want an atmosphere and, and they want to, you know, be in front of big crowds like Brisbane Raw used to play in. Um, they're only going to do that now by being successful on the pitch. And, mm. look, they come up with a 1-1 draw on, on, on Friday night, you know, Jay O'Shea getting the, the penalty late on. Um, and, and, look, I think it was deserved um, in terms of how they come back into the game. A crazy, crazy moment from Isaiah's for the red card. Um, but they just can't get a win. Uh, mm. And that's been the story under Warren Moon for the last couple of years, that they, they do so well up to a certain area, and, and that's the goal scoring. You know, they've always they've struggled the last couple of years to, to score goals. And you touched on it yesterday about Charlie Austin possibly leaving. That looks, after talk to a couple of people that does look like it's going to be on the cards yeah um this week uh this week i think there's going to be talks and negotiations and he could be out the door in january so where mm. they go from there uh, look it might free up some extra finances for warren moon and, and and raw to to bring in a marquee striker and hopefully they can and hopefully they will yeah um from adelaide's point of view and overall that game on friday night a lot of young players on show uh, the highest percentage of young players on show and we're talking about developing socceroos out of any game so far played yeah. this weekend that's ahead of the mariners of course who do a good job in that regard but 16 year old uh, nestri irankunda he again he's he's showing signs the kid he's he's a talent yeah. so hopefully he develops nicely wellington and western city Wanderers. now this game was played because a deal was done with wind stadium um i think stadium availability over in new zealand as well Long may it not continue um, playing games in Wollongong with all due respect. If Wollongong are going to be hosting A-League games, it's got to be the Wolves and that's it. Full stop. Unless there's a disaster with one yeah. of the grounds in Sydney and one of the Sydney teams have to take a game down there. But at Allianz, uh, Sydney FC and Melbourne City, Scott, uh, watch this really closely. I think minutes 20 to 40 was some of the highest quality A-League football you'll see. It was end-to-end. It was attacking. There was intent. Defences were wobbling. It was really good to watch. The ball was zipping around, moving quickly. I was impressed with Marco Tilio when he came off the bench as well. So yes. um, we'll see what Rado does with him in the next couple of weeks. He didn't He didn't sulk that he, he was on the bench after making the Socceroos squad, but um, a big win for Sydney. Much-needed win after um, getting back home, Huge. if you like, and, and not being able to get it done in their first few appearances. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know it's Steve Corica can breathe a you know heavy sigh of you know relief that uh, they finally got that first win at the Allianz and takes them up to fourth spot now. And look, I, I like the way they've been playing this year. They, they've they've been playing some decent football, um, just not getting the results, and they've been a little bit shaky at the back. You have to say um, that that looks to be sorted now. They've got a couple of players back from injury. Look, I think the only way is up for them. And obviously, Lafondre now getting his first goal of the season, getting his first goal at New Stadium. We need to get him on more often, I reckon. Um, if that's going to be the case, I'm sure he'll want to come back on and get an interview from us again. Um, but <laughs> it's good to see him back in the goals. And they need him and they need him firing 
if they're going to be successful. Joe Lolly again has really impressed me since he's come to come to the league as well, and, and he's been a great addition for the league and for Sydney FC as well. But yeah. for Rado uh, Vidisic, uh, obviously a disappointing result first off for him. You always want a positive result uh, when you take over as a manager, and and you want that buy-in. So we'll see how they go and how they develop under Rado Vidisic's early days yet. But like you said, it was great to see Tilio come on and. We spoke to him earlier in the week as well and his ambitions and he wants to go overseas, you know, but obviously his concentration now is on Melbourne City and wants to play week in, week out. And hopefully we can see that because he's such an entertaining player. And I love players that, that you know like to go 1v1 with people and take them on. And he's certainly that type of player. Um, the biggest surprise for the weekend so far for me, though, and it's like I nearly fainted when I saw it, um, Jack Clisby's right foot. <laughs> I've seen Jack play yeah, a lot of A-League like. games and I did not know he could do that. And More power to him because that was a fantastic strike to uh, to get the opener against Western United. Absolutely. You'll need to put that right foot on ice now, won't he? It's just, it's a wonderful <laughs> strike and it's it's in all the way, isn't it? You know, just in between two Western United uh, defenders, Jamie Young with both goals, absolutely no chance. And I know Jamie well, he'll be, he'll be very, very upset this morning, uh, but... Not a lot he could do, really. Um, and you know what? In the end, it's a great result for Perth, but they hung on. They hung on at the end of that game. They got, you know, Western United got one back through Kilkenny's free kick that went right through everyone. And they had a late chance as well to, to equalise and just didn't get it. And huge result for, for Ruben Zatkovic. And he'll be hoping now that that kick starts their season. And, and obviously, they've not played at home till this point as well. Yeah. So finally, they're going to get a few home games as well. And you'll be looking at that now going, right, this is the chance for us to now try and put some pressure up the table. But for, for Johnny Aloisi and his men, it's it's not been a great start of the season, has it? And uh, the question marks and how they turn it around because they've got a full squad now. Prijevic is back. Um, so they'll be looking to bounce back quickly as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, and as mentioned at the top here, it, it looked pretty good. Macedonia Park. I had a few worries about what it was going to look like, but on... Yeah. Okay, it's not all about what it looks like in TV, but you you felt like there was a bit of at, an atmosphere there. So it's not ideal. I've been done over by the the development at HBF Park, but um, at least there's something there for for Perth Glory to enjoy the men's team in uh, the the next couple of months while that's being redone. So uh, we've got we'll probably review this tomorrow on the show. Um, not that you're here, Scott, so you won't be able to do it. But uh, uh, Mariners and Jets, and also Macarthur and Victory, and the Mariners and Jets playing for the time-honoured column of the F3. <laughs> did you see this, Scotty? Did we discuss this yesterday or the day before? No, no. But I've seen it on one of your your social media stories. <laughs> that uh, it's like like a rock, like a rock that's no, it's glued a piece to of the road. Some... It's a piece of the road. It's a piece it really? of the F3. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's great. Wow, and they've. They made it into this little trophy. Incredible! Yeah, it's only in Australia, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, but this this should be a good. I'm looking forward to this game as well, though today. Yeah. That that should be a cracking game and be quite fiery. Um, Pappas needs a result, I think, and obviously it'll be Quail's send off pretty much uh, yeah. as well. So interested. This is going to be a good game to watch. It it, it points towards the 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 nature of Australians that it, it's a piece of the road whereas derbies in say Europe like it, you could have a trophy where it's a Molotov cocktail that they th- the two sets of fans throw at each other so yeah you know we get along but we don't get along if you know what I mean out here it's not yeah. not too serious but um, now lovely trophy I don't know how heavy it is to to lift but uh, we'll find out after that one we'll discuss it tomorrow on the global game uh, we are off to a quick break and we're going to wrap things up and have a little look ahead to what Scott, Scott's thoughts are about the semi-finals coming up this week from the World Cup. Dembélé cuts Dembélé it back in. Giroud! Oh, oh, what a save. save. 
What a save <laughs> from Jordan Pickford. It'll be Luke Shaw's left foot struck at goal and straight mm. to Hugo Lloris. Mm. Ball in behind here is Cristiano Ronaldo. Takes oh. the shot, saved by Bono Bubble. And he's held it. It's a very good save. Yeah, Jordan and uh, Roddy enjoying each other's uh, nice synchronicity between the two on that first. Oh, what a save. Welcome back to the global game. And uh, that were the great saves. Um, thanks to Schnitz, uh, the best hands in the schnitzel business. Schnitz, handcrafted schnitzels. And tell you what, Scott, every time I read that, it makes me want a schnitz. So I'm going to go and have one this afternoon at some stage. What about <laughs> yourself, mate, after a, uh, a, a fun Saturday night? Yes, I could do with one of them, actually. I wouldn't mind one, so perhaps maybe maybe the wife will be kind enough to go and get me one. <laughs> I reckon there's two chances of the wife doing anything for you today by the sounds of things, but anyway, yeah. we won't go into that uh, realm, shall we? No. Let you guys sort that out. Um, so, so here we go. We've got Argentina-Croatia in one semi-final and France-Morocco. I don't think there's a person on the planet that could have got that four as the last four out of the 32 from where we started, but... Um, yeah, Argentina, Croatia, in decent shape, both squads. The Argentinians, like one thing about them, okay, they got messy, but they work so hard in games, and so do the Croatians. So I think physically, I think they even each other out at this stage of the tournament, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the only thing for the Argentines is probably the the players that they're going to miss. Acuna's suspended, Montiel's suspended as well, um, but... Look, and do you know who's really impressed me for Argentina? Is the guy in the middle of the pitch, DePaul. DePaul, his work rate, his, his effort, he's, he's everywhere. He's, he's very good on the ball. He controls things. He's reminding me a lot of what Mascarano tried to do for Argentina and so well. Obviously, Mascarano probably did it better, um, but he's in that mould. Um, and he's just, he's probably, he's horrible to play against for me. Mm. Um, but look, uh, for Argentina, they're going to have to go to the well again with Croatia because they're going to take them all the way. The Croatians as well will be confident the last time they played them, which was 2018 World Cup, they beat them 3-0. Okay, this is a totally different Croatian team and, and set up and no Mandzukic, no Rebic from, from the previous. Uh, and I think that's, all we, that, that's what we keep talking about this tournament, that they're struggling to score goals. I think they've only won one game in the whole tournament so far, if you, if you think about it in, in full time uh, before it's gone to extra time and penalties. Yeah. Um, so Argentina can fully expect this one to, to be a tough old match and, and go very, very much you know into the depths again. Croatia like to do it to them, uh, to, to everyone that they play against. And I, I'm not going to be foolish enough to back against them either. You know, mm. the Croatians have, you know, shown me time and again from last tournament to this tournament, don't back at the, you know, back against them at your peril. Um, they like that. And for a, such a small nation, they're fascinating uh, as a nation and how they get the job done and how they keep, you know, producing these players um, and you know, producing it on the world's top stage as well. Yeah, that for a country, not exactly. We always seem to, when we talk development in this country, it always seems to come back to dollars. Whereas over in Croatia, I can't imagine that there's, the, I mean, a lot of transfers coming in, so maybe the money's used that way. But it, it doesn't appear to me about a, a place where it's first and foremost about how much money we've got. It's just the, the know-how when it comes to youth development and also producing these players and giving them a chance in the local leagues where the average age of a lot of teams is 22, 23 years of age, as opposed to here in Australia. Sorry to harp on about it, but it's 27, 28. But anyway, um, with, uh, I've been impressed as well, Scott, just on Argentina, Scaloni, the, the manager about how he's made adjustments game to game and within games as well. There was a noticeable shift he made in terms of how they pressed Australia in that round of 16 game to use one example 
he's a, he's a pretty flexible kind of kind of manager, and he's he's getting the most out of the parts around Messi. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you talk about the last game when they played the Netherlands; they matched them up for for a lot of that game. They're playing, you know, a three-five-two system. And my biggest question was if Messi was to play as the lone nine uh, in that game, if they played their normal four-three-three, how would they press the Dutch? I think it helped them a lot better to get closer to to the Netherlands at times. Uh, it took them a little while to get get going because they've not played that system a lot. Um, but they are flexible, and they're showing that flexibility under Scaloni and. Um, look, they give you they give you problems. You know they can mm. they can change it up a little bit. And um, I was I was actually really impressed by Argentina against the Netherlands. I I didn't think they had enough in that game. I, look, I chose the Netherlands to, to to win that one just purely on having to go to the well again for Argentina. Um, and did they have enough match winners out with Messi in that side? But you know their camaraderie and their their we talk about the. The smaller nations having, you know, that camaraderie, that that ethic, um, that togetherness, you could see that in the Argentinian team and what it means to them. And, and Molina, for me, was another standout performer in that game as well. He was fantastic, particularly oh, he gets the goal, um, but he was wonderful in that wing back role as well for Argentina. Early thoughts on France Morocco. So obviously, there's the history and there's going to be the build up and you know the, the you know the, the the two things that or the things that bind the two nations together or unbind, whatever way you want to look at it, if unbind is even a word. Uh, but how the game is going to play out, for me, it's Antoine Griezmann is going to be the the key to France because he is the most creative player on the ball. And Morocco, as we discussed before, and you mentioned, Scott, they've conceded just one goal in the entire tournament. They'll sit. They'll make it compact. Gee, they're going to be hard to pick apart. Have France got the tools, in, in your opinion, to, to do just that? Yeah, I think they do. I think they've got so much variation in their attacks that um, it poses a real problem. You know, they can get you on the counter-attack. They can expose you 1v1 in wide areas. They can cross the ball from wide areas because they've got physicality inside that box, as we see with Giroud scoring that header. Uh, Rabiel score from a, from a free kick. He's a big lad too. They've got some big boys that can get up there for set pieces also. Um, and you talked about Griezmann. He has been the architect. He's probably been the unsung hero throughout this competition because we talk about Giroud with his goals and Mbappe and uh, the likes of Debele because he runs at people and but you know you have to say Griezmann playing in that number 10 role now he's just so adaptable he's played in so many different positions over the years um, and he's been wonderful just a you know a great foil for the other front three Um, and he was and he was very good again against England so you're right he's going to be one the one who's going to try and unlock this Moroccan defense um and I can see them doing it. Um, I don't see them losing this one. I think Morocco have done exceptionally well. But if they get an early one, it could be a long night for Morocco because there were still chances there for Portugal. Yeah, absolutely. And and Morocco, I mean, you can look at it and think, was that their final against Portugal? Or was that their final against Spain? Or was that their final in the previous games against Belgium? I don't know. You, you, you can look at it any which way. And the, they've got suspensions. They've got injuries. But they've just got this iron will. So that alone gives them more than a puncher's chance of, of getting something out of this one. But, uh, Scott, thank you for your company today on the uh, the Global Game. Let you go and get that schnitz. And, um, yeah, have a good afternoon, mate. We're <laughs> recording this early afternoon. Um, thanks for listening, everyone, by the way. But, Scotty, take it easy, mate. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, Adam. Pleasure as always. That was the Global Game. Don't forget, you can check us out on Twitter at Global Game SEN. Uh, thanks for listening on the radio or on the podcast. And we'll be back tomorrow with another edition.